Hi everybody, Dan and Andy here, just to let you know that our special guest on this week's Fish is none other than Anne Miller. You will remember Anne because she's been on loads of times before, though she hasn't been on for a little while. We are so excited to see her again. Uh, Anne is a brilliant children's author. She's written Mickey and the Animal Spies, a series of children's books all about animals, spying and codes. They're fabulous. And as you're about to hear, she is obviously a magnificent researcher and elf. So we hope you enjoy this episode. That's right. We also just want to quickly say happy birthday publication to Andrew Hunter Murray because The <gasps> Sanctuary, yep, has just been released in paperback. Uh, this is such a brilliant book. It's a book that is so brilliant that Waterstones have actually decided to make it the thriller of the month. So you're going to see it everywhere in bookshops. And it's a book that's been called many things by many great people. It's been called imaginative and intriguing. The Sanctuary sucks you in and doesn't let you leave until the very last page by Anthony Horowitz. It's a brilliantly clever thriller by a brilliantly clever author says Richard Osman they are all telling the truth oh Dan thank you um yeah guys it would mean the absolute world to me if you picked up a copy of the sanctuary in paperback it's a gripping twisty thriller set on a mysterious island off the coast up north where one of the world's wealthiest most enigmatic men is building an entirely new society it's all about that and what the young hero from the city finds when he goes and sees this new world being built it's about billionaires it's about mysterious islands it's about the near future if you're looking for a gripping summer read on the beach i think this could be the one for you that's right and it's also brilliant so do make sure you go and get a copy from our own personal sunday times best-selling author here on the show andrew hunter murray as i say available in all good bookshops both online and in the real world do pick it up help our buddy out to get back in that sunday times chart all right on with the show on with the podcast <laughs> Hello and welcome to another episode of No Such Thing as a Fish, a weekly podcast coming to you from the QI offices in Hoburn. My name is Dan Schreiber. I'm sitting here with James Harkin, Andrew Hunter-Murray and Anne Miller. And once again, we have gathered around the microphones with our four favorite facts from the last seven days. And in a particular order, here we go. Starting with fact number one, and that is Anne. My fact is that Anne of Green Gables is from the same island as the world's largest potato sculpture. <laughs> Welcome back, Anne. <laughs> Are you suggesting a link, a causal link between the two? Well, between uh, great literature and great snacks. Oh, that's, yeah, nice. It's a large potato, a great snack. I'm not coming around the Oz <laughs> Super Bowl Sunday. <laughs> So I don't know really who Anne of Green Gables is. Shall I give you a potted Anne of Green mm. Gables 101? Yeah. So Anne of Green Gables is one of my favorite books of all time. It is set on Prince Edward Island in Canada. I was given it when I was very young and the setting is just completely beautiful. So the thing about Anne is she is an orphan. Um, this brother and sister called Matthew and Marilla live at a place called Green Gables and they are convinced to adopt an orphan boy to help them on the farm. But when they go to collect the boy, it's Anne. She's a chatterbox she's imaginative she gets into endless scrapes but they love her and she sort of builds this new life on prince edward island and when i was a little bit older my godmother sent me a postcard from green gables and it was as if someone had sent me a card from narnia i didn't understand how she'd been <laughs> somewhere cool. that was in a book Amazing. and i remember being so confused yeah. and like 
it was like, oh, a nice time at Green Gables. And I was like, how did you get there? Saw a really big potato. Did she say that <laughs> she as well? She did not. Oh. She did not. I found out about that more recently. Um, but yeah, so the island, because Lucy Maud Montgomery, who wrote the book, lived there and is set there. There's lots of um, places in the book is actually there. And it's a sweeping series. There are several books um, beyond Anna Green Gables. And I was planning the trip of a lifetime to go and see Prince Edward Island for summer 2020. So I didn't make it there. But while I was reading about Prince Edward Island, I found out that they also are the home of the Canadian Potato Museum. Mm. And outside is a 4.3 meter tall potato. We have your picture taken. And I just, I almost want to go there as much as I want to go to Green Gables. It's got exhibitions. It's got potatoes in tiny coffins to show the different diseases they can have. It's got a potato themed gift shop. It's got a potato themed restaurant. So Mm. you can have baked potato with cider crisps. You can have (laughs) potato skins, potato soup. And what do you reckon you can have for pudding? Oh, I know that they make potato fudge yeah. there. Yeah. With mashed potato pot- fudge. Potato yeah. fudge. With mashed, with mashed potato. Wow. I, I, did, um, I did have a quick look at TripAdvisor for the Potato Museum. Yeah. Pretty overwhelmingly good. Yeah. I, I think it's also a tribute to Canadian positivity. Nice. And politeness. But what and have the- you, which one have you picked out then? <laughs> <laughs> oh, you know, obviously I was looking for the negative reviews. Yeah. And a, a lot of the, actually, there are very few, which is a, is, is a tribute yeah, to the restaurant. Yeah, but let's hear the one. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, well, there's one there's one three star review which sniffs that the big potato could have been a little more realistic. <laughs> the TripAdvisor review does say suggested duration one to two hours for your visit, which I think by the end of the second hour you you'll be running short. Yeah. Of things to okay. do, um, but they have they do. You're right. They have absolutely. Loads of um, stuff. They they say it's a living testament to the humble tuber and those who have tilled the soil in its evolution. Did they have any two or one star reviews? They had so few, actually, that I think it would be unrepresentative of me to read any out. And I didn't write any down because they weren't very amusingly written. But uh, (laughs) it's it's clearly a very popular place. The museum was started by a guy called Dr. Lloyd George Dewar, uh, who was a politician. And I tried to find anything interesting about him, uh, which was really tough. I even went into like these, um, what they call it, the websites that tell you about your family. Oh, mm. like, uh, yeah, yeah, Ancestry. Yeah, like an Ancestry com. one. Mm. And I found out that his great grandfather died at the age of 101 mm-hmm. in the town of Dull in Perthshire. <laughs> no. <laughs> the only interesting fact about that. That's all I could find. Yeah, yeah. That's great. Amazing. How heavy was this sculpture potato again, by the way? Oh, I didn't say the weight. They the don't list the weight. They don't list the height. Point to the yeah. thieves. Because I found the world's heaviest potato and was just curious How heavy what the is difference. The well, it's going to be a lot less heavy, I assume. We're saying heaviest <laughs> real potato. But is it a real yeah, one? it's a real potato, which was just under five kilograms. Nice. And is that, that Well, that, no, that's, yeah. I know, well, this is the thing, because potatoes aren't water-bearing um, oh. Organisms like your squashes. Mm. That's yeah. why the big squashes huge. are kind of a ton, and the biggest potato. But it's grown by friend of the podcast Peter Glazebrook, <laughs> who we've mentioned several times before, because he's done things like the longest bean yeah. or um, yeah. the biggest biggest marrow or whatever. Biggest, yeah, yeah, yeah. He's he's got a load of those records. He's a UK he, guy. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, he is. Which he's is kind of fine. We should get him. We should get him into the building sometime. Shake his, oh, well, shake I mean, his unfortunately, hand. he won't fit through the door. Yeah. But is, <laughs> he not... can carry his bean the other way. You know. Yeah. Oh, that's a good point. But well. what about the nine foot apple? <laughs> <laughs> I wanted to find a bigger potato to kind of spoil this fact. Oh yeah. Because like, that's my job on this podcast. <laughs> that's right. Um, so I looked at all the other potato museums around the world oh, to yeah. see if they had. There are surprisingly quite a few. There are quite a few. Uh, But I found in the Idaho Potato Museum, they have the world's largest Pringle. Ooh. Uh, And we have perhaps a Pringles controversy 
with this. <laughs> a further, a further. And further, because I knew you weren't here when Sarah Pascoe was on, but she had five Pringles mm. controversies. Yes. Um, but this is the world's largest Pringle, but it's flat. Oh. It's not the shape of a Pringle. So do you call that a Pringle? Was so it what, made by Pringles? It was made by Pringles, yeah. Is it is it made from the material of Pringle? It's made from uh, dehydrogenated... Corned potatoes, yeah. starch. It's just not got the shape. That's an interesting... What I makes think, a Pringle? Is it yeah. the shape or is it the... What do you reckon, the, Do you reckon it's a Pringle if it's not Pringle-shaped? I think if it's made by Pringles, it's a Pringle. Do you? Mm. What about the box that's made by Pringles? No. The I'm... box is also a Pringle. <laughs> <laughs> It's this lyrical Pringle. Very doctrinally. I'm going to double down on this. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, fine. Sadly, I I do agree. I think it is a Pringle. If they say it's a... I think they have naming rights. So I can't call it a Pringles controversy. Oh, well, I think we've we've certainly argued about it just now. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. It's controversial that you're trying to introduce it as a controversy. Certainly. Yeah. Okay, great. I'll email Sarah. Yeah. I did find out about the world's well, another non-largest potato in the world. Yeah. And this was, you may well have seen this in your research as well, which was uh, nearly a, a, a knockout blow to Peter Glaze Brooks' five kilo potato, uh. which is, I think, about an eight kilo potato. Whoa. Yeah, it was found in, by a pair of uh, farmers in New Zealand who um, the Guinness World Records people wrote back to them when they wrote in saying, we've got this. They said, in fact, it's a tuber of a kind of gourd and DNA testing actually oh. revealed oh. in true Jerry Springer style. Wow. It wasn't a potato. It wasn't a potato it at wasn't. all. It was called Doug. That's <laughs> Doug. After how they got it out <laughs> of the ground. Exactly. Wow. Doug. Samantha Baldwin, who's a researcher at the New Zealand Institute for Food and Plant Research, yeah. presumably mm. having a morning off or something. And so we, we tried running multiple tests on samples of Doug, but he just wasn't behaving like a potato should. <laughs> because he wasn't a potato. I like the idea <laughs> of like vegetable espionage, though, like posing as a potato for many yeah. many years i mean it looks like a potato and the, the finders they made a little trolley to drag it around oh. on it's quite sweet i have a couple more contenders for giant potatoes oh okay. so i was a little bit concerned when i was double checking that there was a giant potato in cyprus which is two foot taller but sadly or luckily for me um was chopped down by vandals so it wasn't, <laughs> <laughs> wasn't me who did it <laughs> Was it just done this week? Yeah. Really? Just after you said this fact? Yeah. That sounds really? suspicious. You are looking tanned. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, and you look so gleeful at the moment. I mean, yeah. no jury would acquit you at the yeah. moment. I can't work out if you're sad or, yeah, if you're hysterical with... I'm very sad. No, so yeah. there's the one in Cyprus was two foot taller. You're it's not been... doing a good impression of somebody who hasn't chopped down a giant potato, put it that way. Well, I definitely didn't chop down the one in Australia. So they have the big things, I'm sure. Yeah, well, of course. Yeah. Yeah. And they have the big potato. But theirs is lying down, so it's long. Did someone but it's knock not it over? <laughs> 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 it did for a while have a face, oh. which is sort of mildly terrifying. And the mm. face has been taken away. I'm not sure if it was stolen. <laughs> wow. Any more for potatoes? Um, no. How about Prince Edward Island? Should well, we yeah, do a yeah, bit I on mean, that? They, they do. They make about a million tons of potatoes each year. Make, big, breed, big grow. Yeah, yeah, yeah. A quarter of Canada's potatoes, despite it being a very small Canadian province. Yeah. yeah. One of the smallest, one I would smallest, say. Yeah. A lot of the potatoes on Prince Edward Island uh, are grown and processed by McCain. Oh, um, yeah. Who are the world's largest manufacturer of frozen potato products. Yes. You'll know yeah. them from their oven chips. Yeah. Yes. yes, big fans. They were founded by two brothers called Harrison and Wallace McCain. And like, it seems every single company that's founded by two brothers, they got into a massive legal dispute. No. And then one of the brothers had to leave and took over a thing called Maple Leaf Foods. No. no. Rival. amazing? I thought you were going to say there's a potato equator around the world like yeah, the Aldi, yeah, like yeah, the Aldi yeah, brothers yeah, yeah. Yeah. 
But no, oh, isn't that wow. isn't that surprising? That is it does seem this thing that yeah. brothers start companies and they fall out. Uh, was it Adidas? Adidas yeah. and Puma, Adidas. yeah. And Puma, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's and right so Wix and left Wix. Wow, an oasis. <laughs> <laughs> an oasis, yeah. Yeah. Um, so it's a very big island as well. It's 175 miles long. Oh, did yeah. I yeah. just say it was a small one? No, it's you, a, well, it's a small province, but uh, it's a big island. Right. You know what I mean? Yeah. Because Canada's sure massive. Canada's... It's I big. Think, I think everyone forgets how big Canada is. Just shout out for Canada there. But did you know we have a lot of listeners on Prince Edward Island? Really? really? So I had a little look in the inbox, the fish inbox, yeah. podcast at qi.com. We have had so many messages from people over the years saying, I'm on Prince Edward Island and I would like you to cover it. And here are some facts. Okay. So I've got a, got a couple for you. Right. Uh, Ryan Barrett who works for the PEI Potato Board. Mm-hmm. Wow. Thank you. Big shout out to Big, Yeah. I mean, he wrote an email a couple of years ago. This was when Anna was in charge of the inbox. Ryan, I don't think you got a reply. So I'm here to <laughs> write that wrong. <laughs> Anna really hates Prince Edward Island, doesn't she? Every week she goes on about how much she hates it. I have to cut it out. Um, he just said some cool place names they've got. They've got an Alaska, a Belfast, a New Zealand, a Toronto, a Norway, a Crapo. Uh, <laughs> which is French for toad I didn't know okay. and a cerise which is French for mouse ah. cool yeah um, and he also has a fact about Anne of Green Gables which is that oh. because of Anne of Green Gables Prince Edward Island gets thousands and thousands of Japanese tourists every year mm. and that's because the book was the first book taught in English in Japan after the Second World War it's so massive big there. cultural influence yeah, yeah, still, yeah. yeah still to this day it's ginormous and they have, they have schools named after it there the School of Green Gables they've got the uh, University of Prince Edward Island School of Nursing and it, apparently adaptations are just always on TV, yeah. just non-stop yeah. on TV in Japan. I've always heard that. I never really understood why. And I read a really cool article by Margaret Atwood um, to celebrate Anne's oh. 100th birthday. And she said she'd done an event in Japan and she'd asked the audience and they'd um, her translator had written down the responses. And one of the big reasons is the author who translated it in Japan was already very beloved, so sort of had an audience oh. there. And there are many things about the book that just really resonated. So Anne was an orphan and there were sadly a lot of orphans in Japan after the war. She's got a huge passion for apple blossom and cherry blossom, which is very popular right. in Japan. And the sort of her work ethic, like she's not scared of hard work and she's very thoughtful, but she's also quite forgetful but it's because she's daydreaming she's not lazy she tries to do her best and she does wind up in scrapes but it's never right. she means well mm. i did read one place that um said that america kind of pushed Anne of green gables after the war because they thought it would help kind of as as american liberal propaganda mm. and they thought that this kind of book which showed that uh, women were more free-thinking, mm. uh, might get them away from some of their old ideas. Right. So that was right. one of the supposedly one of the reasons. She sounds like a pretty um, pretty cool character, the author, Lucy mm. Maud Montgomery. Uh, when she was a kid, she had two imaginary friends, which is really cool. So she was at her grandparents' house, and they had a, um, they had a bookcase, and it had glass uh, reflection doors on the bookcase, and she mm. could see herself mm. in the reflection. So the one on the left was a reflection of someone that she called Katie Maurice, and the right was Lucy Gray. And it was both her, both her reflections, yeah, but she created cool. them as her imaginary friends. Yeah, very cool idea. Um, and I love that her titles of her books all sound like she's still workshopping the old <laughs> title. This is Emily of New Moon, Pat of Silver Bush, Kill Many of the Orchard. One more to add to that. So there's six in the Anne of series, and then there are two that focus on her children. 
and the second one is Rilla of Ingleside which is her youngest daughter so spoiler alert she grows up to get married and has a bunch of children but what I didn't realize when I was younger is I followed the books through and you see her grow up and I hadn't clocked that as she grew up the year would get so much closer to the war so it becomes a book about the first world war Mm. so Rilla of Ingleside is about war coming to Canada um, which I wasn't expecting. And so two of her children end up fighting in the war. Her daughter Rilla ends up adopting a war baby and looking after him. And wow. it's just very odd to take a character who you know from a beloved children's book and put them in World War One. Mm. I think mm. this about, it's a slightly different example of it, but there is an episode of Frasier mm. where Martin Crane, Frasier's dad, has yeah. just watched the Austin Powers film. <laughs> and uh, it's very weird thinking of them in the same conceptual universe. Yeah. Because there's a bit where Martin keeps on saying, shagadelic baby, yeah. And it's, it's really, it really <laughs> takes you out of yourself. All uh, right. Yeah. Uh. It's quite amazing that she gave over the trademark, basically, to Anna Green Gables to not only her, her daughters and the heirs, but to Prince Edward Island as well. So they've got the trademark, which means that anyone who works on the island is allowed to make their own sort of products or own merchandise and sell them. Yeah, with no worry of the estate coming at them because they are the estate, Mm. which is really great. Can you do anything? It sounds like it. I mean, possibly you might have to pitch and say, you know. Yeah, you could have Anna Green Goebbels, for instance. Oh, yes. The second World War book. Yeah. 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 Okay, it is time for fact number two, and that is my fact. My fact this week is, in 1952, a cowboy successfully lassoed a plane as it flew past his house. His house? Yeah, so he was working at this house. Uh, He was working with his boss. I have a question, Dan. Yeah. Successfully lassoed? (laughs) Yeah. Does that mean he got the lasso around the plane and he, then the plane flew off with his lasso attached? He, what, he, he tamed it. He tamed it. Yeah, yeah. He, he ended up riding the plane. He broke it. You know, he made it yeah, yeah. Sub, sub, submissive to him. That's Andy's got it right. The uh, version that's that's and the plane yeah, lives okay, happily good. in his garden to this day. Yeah. 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 <laughs> no, this is this is um, the basic story. Is that he was he was at this house. He was working as a cowboy, and this plane just kept flying really low over the house, mm. and kept going by. And they had no idea what was going on. Uh, it turns out what was going on was the pilot on the inside was trying to drop a love letter to a girl <laughs> who lived oh. inside the house, and flying high, he was trying to get her to come out to see the love letter being dropped. Right, but this cowboy gets pissed off so yeah. he gets out his lasso um it's a it's a three and a half meter long lasso and as the guy's flying swooping low. down flying he's flying very low. low well you yeah. know he's got to drop the letter so it lands on a good spot absolutely so he throws the lasso <laughs> at the plane it manages to collide with the propeller catches onto it and snaps off and gets tangled up in the propeller so the pilot has no choice but to turn around and quickly land the plane obviously the the cowboy was knocked onto his back it was a it was not obviously, pleasant yeah, yeah it was... did the um the guy in the plane survive yeah he did and actually years later when he was 78 years old there was a photo of him with the propeller with the lasso rope still wrapped around it so and did he get the girl uh i couldn't find that bit of the story yeah great question can i just say everyone in the story is an idiot (laughs) is that not the girl yeah why why isn't she coming out of a house how would she know to come out there's a plane flying apparently two meters above (laughs) your house show some curiosity like she's idiot three on the list idiot two i think is probably the pilot Uh who's doing this mad like just send just send the card doesn't matter idiot one's the cowboy why? Well, it's funny because he, tra- he could have killed the pilot and himself. Yeah. But it's a good point, though. I felt sorry for the pilot because I thought he's trying to do something in secret. Instead, he's his plane's fallen out of the sky and made a big noise, presumably. But the post is pretty secret. 
Yeah, yeah, this is not secret. This is less secret, yeah. I would say, than the post. It's not secret. He's not trying to be secret. It was, this is romance. This is, look, you can see me. Hi, I've got a letter. I want to show you my love. Is it like the 80s thing of turning up outside the house with a boombox? I was just and thinking. Playing, or the Love Actually thing of turning up with the cards. <laughs> it's exactly that. <laughs> yeah. the propeller cards. Oh, I, I would be good in Love Actually in that scene if a lasso just came in for the sack. Yeah. <laughs> or if he's going round to loop the loop with a plane and yeah. every time he does the bottom of the loop, it's another card. Oh, yeah. Yes. Oh. Yes. Sorry, forgot to say. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, uh, yeah, fools. Anyway, this fools. is it's a, a great very, story. It's a very random story. It appeared in a Time magazine article mm. in a language that is just it says like then a few few years ago some smart fellows bought themselves a little airplane and opened a flying club just a hoot and a holler from where the ranch cowboys This is Time magazine. This is how they're reporting mm. the story. So yeah. Okay. 50s journalism. Yeah, his name was Euclides Guterres is uh how I'm going to pronounce that. Oh, who's you- that the, that's the cowboy. That's the cowboy, yeah. right? Yeah. It's south again. So little detail about this story, but it's a, <laughs> the South Brazilian cattle ranches. So I don't even think this is an American cowboy. Oh, I see. We're talking. Yeah. Oh, I thought we were in the USA. That's what I. That's yeah. what I initially thought. I thought yeah. we were in Brazil and ancient Greece from mm. his name. <laughs> <laughs> um, just on lassoes, yeah, and lassoing things. Um, yeah. I did find someone who lassoed cats. Oh, this was a cat lasso artist from the Second World War. She was called Miss Iris Davis. It's a really nice story, actually. So lots of buildings being uh, bombed in the Second World War, lots of rubble, yeah. lots of you know ruins and things. Also lots of cats, lots of people keeping cats. And she was a volunteer worker for what something called the Dumb Friends League, which is... <laughs> Friends of cats. Yeah, 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 exactly. Dumb as in, I think they don't speak, rather yeah, yeah. than stupid cats um but she went from she went from bombed house to bombed house with a cat lasso which is a very long pole with the lasso at the end rescuing cats from the wreckage can i ask andy you know yeah. um lots of planes flying very low there dropping oh, yeah. bombs and stuff do you think a curious person would get out of the house and look up and go <laughs> oh, what's going on there idiots no 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 sorry um wow. she claimed in 1940 november 1940 so i guess the blitz had been going on for a while she claimed she had rescued 600 cats wow. from wow. bombed buildings which knowing is a cats lot. it was probably the same one <laughs> <laughs> someone who's an unexpected cowboy osama bin laden turns out he used to walk around with a stetson on his favorite shows were bonanza and things like fury he had his own horse and he absolutely loved the world of cowboys. Wow. Um, yeah, there was lots of stories because a biography came out where they said you would see Osama bin Laden walking around with his Stetson on, acting all cowboy. It's amazing it took that long to f- find and catch him, given that he was... <laughs> <laughs> there can't be that many people in the Tora Bora caves no, exactly. with a massive Stetson on. <laughs> Yeah. Wow! Yeah, I don't lot... know what to make of that. I know it's odd, isn't it? But yeah. there's a lot. Of, there's a lot of um, so like Stalin, for example. If we're talking like bad people generally, massive cowboy fan as well. Used to love watching westerns, loved John Wayne movies, right. but also hated John Wayne because of his anti-communism stance. <laughs> and so actually plotted to have him murdered. He ordered KGB assassins to go and try and kill John Wayne. Um, and and Chairman Mao did that as well. Chairman Mao hated John Wayne. The stories of assassination <laughs> plot from yeah from Chairman Mao as well. Are <laughs> oh, these all put out by John Wayne's PR? <laughs> yeah, feels like it, right? Communist dictators hate him. Find this one weird trick. No, wow. there's, a, there's a really good. There's a Hollywood writer called Michael Munn. I've read a couple of his books. Right. His one that he did on John Wayne. He found that the FBI had discovered that there were assassins that were sent to Hollywood to try and kill John Wayne. Amazing. Um, yeah. Gosh. Do you know yeah. how many people you can fit inside a lasso? 
Oh, oh surely. Oh, if well, you have enough rope. Well, the Guinness World Record for someone who's done it. So oh, it has so to be spinning. Oh, yeah. yeah. Was it thrown? So got, yeah, yeah. So it's like okay. it's spinning, and he's like. Getting I would up. say actually, it's smaller than you think. I'm going to say twenty people gathered in a tight. As in, that'll be very hard, I think, to let's yeah. see 20 people standing yeah. together, even standing together. Okay. I'm going to say, just going with my imagination here, <laughs> I'm going to say 200, and I'm going to say that the person was standing on top of a first floor building, mm. like the top of a school, yeah. massive lasso, and just managed to get the uh, the throw. Nice. A school, specifically a school. Then no, no other buildings have more than one story, as we know. Yeah. Uh, I, what I'm thinking maybe is maybe around... 240 to 300 uh, and they're all on the same plane and it gets last season. Yeah. Oh, yeah. very nice. Very well, nice. you actually were right the first time. It's 13 or 14 including the guy handling it. Oh, so you were so close. You were so wow. close. So, you oh, so he counts. It's sort of does he count? I think the well, record the is 13. The rope. Yeah, he jumped he's in. The I think he's doing this. Oh, wait, oh. if he's, he's in the lasso. Yeah, 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 then that absolutely counts. Yeah, yeah. He's in the centre and he's lassoing around and other people are gathering around him as he lassoes. Yeah, I love that. Yeah. I do, does that count as lassoing? Because you don't usually stand, say, like next to the, the wild horse and lasso <laughs> yourself into it as well. <laughs> they do tricks, don't they, lasso artists? Yeah. And I think this is kind of part of that. As in, they like a skipping rope, you'll yeah. kind of lasso around and then you'll do jumping in. You're going to get letters from the cowboys. <laughs> and, and the skipping people how dare you associate us with those hacks I'll tell you what if someone flies very close to the top of my house then I'll look outside Pop for out. the letters yeah, yeah. yeah um, Marlboro Man one of those famous cowboys cigarette, cigarette, cigarette yeah. smoking Marlboro Man yeah Bob Norris was the original Marlboro Man who never smoked cigarettes in his life he actively was anti it but he was found because he was in a photo with John Wayne who used to smoke oh. seven packs a day mm. and they saw him in that shot and went hey that guy looks like he'd be good for our smoking wow. weirdly he'd actually been hired by Stalin to kill Wayne <laughs> <laughs> and then the film people got to him in time the cigarette people so yeah. I was looking at other um, big animals that you can lasso oh, great. So, do you know how many lassoes it takes to get a crocodile safely I would have said one I would have said Just one round the mouth I'm going to say like, three three yeah points oh, point, point wow. to the driver yeah. so apparently <laughs> the way they do it is they lasso the top bit of the mouth then they do it again with a second lasso. I guess that's the most like scary part. And then they do one around the whole mouth. And then they tape the mouth to be so, so, so sure. And then oh. the advice was, if it all goes pear-shaped, run. I was going to say, <laughs> that's that's a lot of detail to get right three times round. Yeah. Like, we get the clippers sometimes to go to our gigs at Up the Creek. And whenever oh, yeah. the boat comes in, they always have to lasso the boat yeah. to the end. Yeah. And I always have a bet with whoever I'm standing with, are they going to get it on the first go? Sometimes at the third go. But the thing is, the dock's not going to eat you. Whereas yeah, no, a crocodile, true. yeah, that's, that's yeah. a fine, that's fine the, time. That's one of the first QI facts I ever learned, was that a crocodile can... What is it? It can bite you with the force of a, a mm. truck falling off a cliff. But once its mouth is closed, it presents no threat at all yeah. because you can hold its mouth shut with yeah. your hand. Yeah, and yeah. so and a rubber band, even just a exactly. rubber band yeah. wouldn't yeah. be... I think the scariest job is the person who takes the tape off oh, at the end yeah. of the procedure. <laughs> I think that's the real hero. Yeah. And by that point, it's, it's quite annoyed, probably. Exactly. Yeah. Have you ever held a crocodile? No. No. No, me either. <laughs> <laughs> but my really wife thought, has. My wife has. I thought so, we were on the brink of a, yeah, an amazing yeah. Jane story. I never. Oh, no, really? it's has not. She? Yeah, yeah. We went to the Everglades and there was a baby crocodile that you could hold oh. called wow. Snappy. Of course. Uh, and Polina held it and I didn't have the guts to hold it. <laughs> How really, big was Snappy? Yeah. Um, How big were we talking? I would say, yeah, about a foot and a half. Okay. Something like that. Wow. That's amazing. I also did once play mini golf in a place that had 
crocodiles sort of roaming around. Oh, the, wow. Yes, yeah. There's that. There's that one golf course where the lake literally has giant snapping yeah, yeah, crocodiles, which is amazing. You just have to stay away from them, basically. Yeah. Um, okay, we're in London now. We are. Right. Yeah. No the crocodiles. Ne- no, no crocodiles. But some cowboys quite near here. There is a secret cowboy town in the middle of Kent. Have you heard of it? Really? Really? Yeah. It's called Laredo. It was founded in 1971. What? And it, they've got a blacksmith. They've got an undertaker, a tobacconist. It's like, f- like a working these early models. It's it's life size and it's kind of functional. So it was founded by a bloke called John Truder, who was a pig farmer, and yeah. he just loved the Wild West, and he just wanted to recreate the Wild West <laughs> in his corner of Kent. Uh-huh. It's members only, uh, and they they go there at weekends and they recreate life in the old west cool yeah you can get a half an hour train from london and arrive in Laredo, and they won't let you in they won't let you in no no there's like a random wild west in morningside in edinburgh like it's just you go like you go like through an archway and it's just a wild west like behind a bank of some flats (laughs) it's just there oh i read about it it was created by a furniture shop (laughs) for some reason they just it's called the great american indoors the shop but it and they made their own yeah it's not advertised then we'll say have you seen the wild west and you'd be like no we're in scotland and they'd say oh it's just over there I need to go and look. That's so weird. That's and that one you good. can just walk into. This is like behind some flats, yeah. So Does weird. the piano player always stop whenever there's someone? <laughs> no, but there's like all these planes coming down with ropes. It's very strange. <laughs> Okay, it is time for fact number three, and that is James. Okay, my fact this week is that one of the best ways to trick puffins to a new nesting ground is with mirrors, because they like to be in groups and can't tell the difference between a puffin and the reflection of a puffin. Mm. So they fail the mirror test. They don't know that they are. Yeah, um, the mirror test is a thing with animals that um, some animals, if you show them a reflection of themselves and put a little mark on their head, they'll realize that it's them and they'll try and wipe it off. Yeah. Uh, Whereas most animals won't do that. They won't Mm. see, they'll see a mirror image of themselves and think it's another animal. Mm. And in fact, humans, uh, my daughter only did it a few weeks ago. And she's what 14 months wow. so it's until that age is the first time you get to do that so babies don't know it either huh. um but this is all about a guy called stephen cress uh, and he was working about trying to get puffins into a new area in fact they've been in that area before uh, but he wanted to get them back into that area on the east coast of america and one of the ways that he did that was by making these decoys you can make actual decoys of, of little puffins mm. uh, but one good way of doing it is mirrors because you yeah. can get multiple Mm. Oh yeah, hall of mirrors yeah. like kaleidoscope stuff. Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah Unfortunately, yeah. they saw some that were really tall, some that were. Really <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. It does, it's this mission he was on because Stephen Crest. It sounds like a great guy. He's been working on this for about thirty years, forty years since nineteen sixty nine. It's a so long career cool. in puffinology, and he. So he and his colleagues they went to a, a breeding colony which was healthy in mm. uh, Newfoundland, or just mm-hmm. yeah, Canada, and they basically they had to kidnap loads of baby puffins yeah the start of the story is a bit dodgy isn't it it's a real um villain to hero arc i <laughs> yeah. think he and his colleagues went on because they start off as puffin kidnappers you at know. the start people are just like what are you doing yeah exactly. <laughs> stealing all those puffins they shove them in soup cans which i like to to transport them all the way to their new home and then but then 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 there's the the twist the character twist where he and his colleagues became puffin nannies mm. looking after oh. them breeding them up on this new island in maine and they put them in these fake burrows which they had dug right and they fed them they left fish in there and he constructed all these decoy puffins and mm. then the the thing is that the puffins go to sea eventually when they become kind of teenagers they gain their independence they go off and then 
he waited for years hoping they would come yeah. back to the island because yeah. the question is would they go back to newfoundland where exactly. their kind of genes say that they should be living or will yeah. they remember where they lived as babies yeah. and then come back to that place and in the end and then they came back but i think mm. only in the third year it was it was a few years before yeah. they did and he was getting really worried and then eventually he built loads of decoys and that kind of lured them back yeah right yeah okay that's very cool i was reading about puffins ministry of silly walks so when they want to show that they're not any because they live quite close together they live in burrows and so if you want to cross across you'll probably cross lots of other territories and if you don't want to start a fight they do this like hey don't mind me walk where they it's like they lower their head and they sort of walk quite quickly and try not to get noticed <laughs> but if they're on guard duty they'll stand outside their burrow nice and tall and they'll sort of stamp their feet like an exaggerated like guard doing a march wow i just really like the idea of like i'm on patrol and don't mind me just over here that's great yeah, that's really that's funny. So funny and they take over rabbit burrows as well i love that they don't even need to just dig their own burrows they're they're just yeah, yeah they is... can make their own burrows yeah. if they yeah. want to but, yeah, yeah. Um, and actually sometimes rabbits take their burrows mm. there's a whole little ecosystem going on there that's pretty cool i went to the isle of may a few years ago which is off the east coast of scotland and they've got tons and tons of um seabirds loads of puffins and there's certain bits where like you cannot stray off the path because the island is just covered in puffin burrows so you've got to walk cool. on the bits that they know are safe mm. which is really cool back to stephen crest very mm. quickly um he had a big problem with gulls seagulls um, would attack the puffins mm. um, because seagulls had been uh, living in this area long before the puffins came back so he tried a few different things he attracted terns which are like bigger than puffins but smaller than gulls and they'll kind of attack the gulls to stop them from coming in there and he also had a thing called a death sandwich <laughs> <laughs> which is where his arc of being the evil puffin thief mm. and then the nice puffin nurse yeah. then at the end he becomes the um, gull killer because he puts these death sandwiches which is some bread with something called starlicide oh. in and starlicide is a chemical which is really toxic to starlings and seagulls but not toxic to any other animals right. oh. he would put wow. those out which would kill the seagulls oh my god where's his arc sitting now I'm really I think it's good if we were doing a fact about gulls it's not good no. exactly no. but we're not we're doing a fact about puppets no. and he, he, oh, sorry my fact this week is that the <laughs> evil gull killer Stephen Crest no. no he and there are still I think there are still puffineers as they call themselves who have yeah. to go to the island to, to keep it yeah. you know healthy for the puffins and and you know prevent the gulls from taking taking root there mm. um and they you know they have to smash up their nests and they also i love this they have a robot mannequin which is dressed in a yellow coat and an arnold schwarzenegger mask right and they inflate <laughs> that i know it sounds terrifying and they inflate that to um to try and scare off the gulls it's a scarecrow basically uh -huh, yeah. yeah but the only problem is that the gulls will eventually realize this is a, a motionless it's not an effective yeah, scary yeah. thing because it just sits there it doesn't do anything so sometimes what the puffiners will have to do is they will have to dress up they have to put on the yellow coat and the mask and then go around shooting gulls on the island to prove that it's a dangerous thing oh my so the God. gulls realize but, what they're doing i just i just can't help thinking what if arnold schwarzenegger books a nice relaxing break to look at some <laughs> 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 islands off the coast of maine lovely <laughs> i know that's but, but that's what it takes to, you know, get puffins up and running again. I'm, I'm all for it. I think there's a okay. lot of, like, grey areas in looking after puffins. Because I was reading about there's some <laughs> numbers are declining, very sadly. And there's some 
concerns are perhaps it's the food they're eating they're not getting the right fish the fish are getting smaller and mm. there was one study where to do this they would put up a massive net to catch a puffin and then take all its fish off them to examine the fish mm. oh. it doesn't say whether they gave the fish back oh <laughs> uh, right yeah. yeah yeah their fishing is amazing because often they will have sort of depleted the area that's closest to an island where they're fishing and so they have to go on these huge journeys in mm. order to get the fish to bring back for their starving kids who eat like four or five times a day and i watched this footage it's amazing it was a david attenborough planet earth mm. they fly 50 kilometers out to sea Wow. 50 kilometers there's a whole group of them that yeah. just go in one go they dive down into the ocean and they have an amazing swimming ability they can swim for up to a minute holding their breath and they use their wings like they we would use our arms if we were doing mm. front crawl as they make their way they can go 40 meters deep they come back up when they've caught a fish it's just one fish uh, in most <laughs> cases in this footage they fly them back 50 kilometers oh again God. and then when they get there very similar to the gulls all the kids don't want to eat it no they were, <laughs> <laughs> no i had fish yesterday there were, <laughs> there are birds which are called optic skewers who are waiting for them as they come back knackered and they swoop down oh, and they yeah. steal the fish off them it's an amazing shot in this planet earth documentary because suddenly one of them gets back because a guy wearing an arnold schwarzenegger mask is suddenly <laughs> shooting no that doesn't happen but a hundred kilometer round trip and for then the skewers fish. come for one fish are the skewers they're sort of famously pirate birds aren't they exactly Don't they, i think i might be making this up Do they squeeze other birds to make them vomit up whatever they've just eaten oh and then eat someone that. does definitely that sure, that might be skewers yeah yeah there is a bird that does that yeah, yeah. the thing with um wow. skewers, well you pronounce them skewers yeah skewers 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 um the puffins can carry more than one fish yeah. because mm. they have skewers on their tongue don't they? They have yeah. spiky bits on their tongue that they can attach one fish onto each spike and then go down yeah. for another one. But if they get attacked, that's a that's a skewer's crisis, you know? Brilliant. How oh, lovely. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> but part of the reason they're so good at swimming is their bones are denser than other birds. They find it easy to swim, but they can find it harder to fly. So did you read oh. about these puffin patrols they have in Iceland? These are definitely good guys, not a grey area for these ones. So <laughs> basically when the little pufflings, the baby ones, they use the moon to navigate but the streetlights can throw them off so they sort of crash oh. land in the town and so the whole town is basically united to like save these pufflings they go out on patrol they try and find them and if you find a puffling like you have to look after it so they'll like take them to the cliff and then they either will <laughs> pot it down so it can like trot along and catch the breeze or you just lob it into the air and hope it takes flight you lob it into the yeah, air to get it, in the because they need to get the, like, the momentum to get up if it sprains, oh, but you're catching it if it doesn't right I know it's going no. off a cliff what if it sprained its wing hopefully you checked out on the way in I don't know I don't think these guys sound like an uncomplicatedly uh, benevolent force why don't they like... turn their streetlights off that's what a real good guy would do. I feel like the terminal velocity of a puffin <laughs> wouldn't be fast enough that they would die. I think they might be all right because they're quite small, aren't they? And they're really if tiny. The, if it's the babies as well, then they'll have yeah. a really low terminal velocity. Maybe. Yeah. You can survive. Like, didn't um, Gordon Ramsay fall off a cliff when he was looking for puffers? Well, the thing about Gordon Ramsay <laughs> is his terminal velocity is famously low, isn't yeah. it? Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. 85 feet, I think it was. He fell I off a cliff. I imagine when he falls, he's got like lots of flapping skin on his oh, body yeah. and that kind of yeah. yeah turns into one of those gliding parachuters flying yeah. fox yeah. yeah why sorry why did gordon ramsay fall off a cliff he was looking for puffins I, I, do you know what this is a story just in the back of my head uh, i'm gonna connect it to puffins he was doing a documentary <laughs> and he was looking at various island yeah. he was on the side of a cliff and they were filming him and he fell just and he disappeared yeah and he fell down and I'm, he survived yeah i don't believe that it's true is it yeah i think gordon ramsay is an honorable guy i don't see why he would lie 
presumably it's on film I, I think they never released it oh they accidentally up. turned off the film before he fell <laughs> 80 feet <laughs> and survived 85 85 85 what's that 20, sort of 25 metres survival uh, it must have been a big patch of heather he landed on or whatever it was it's it was a big pile of other tv chefs <laughs> previously fallen down there. bounced off a of warrell thompson fortunately for him <laughs> there's a thing which um a lot of people say about puffins which is that they're monogamous mm. you know they yeah. have the same partner every year yeah, and that's I've very seen that that's very nice well it turns out i think it is actually true because a load of yeah. birds it's not true yeah uh, and they they study um epcs extra pair copulations that's the. Do you oh, remember? Yeah. I think we've mentioned this once or twice before, uh, but they did a study of Atlantic puffins looking at extra pair parentage because now we've got DNA tests, we can actually look, sample species, yeah. and they are basically monogamous. They are um, good for them. Yeah. I know. So you know, no grey areas there. <laughs> nice. No simple, Jerry Springer in the. No yeah, Jerry Springer. Every DNA test comes back. Yep, it's all fine. You are the father. <laughs> Great news. Yeah. Um, my current favourite puffin fact is that. There is scientists creating sunglasses for puffins. Okay. Oh. <laughs> because I don't know how this happened, but they had a puffin and they realized that its beak lit up under UV light. Okay. Oh, yeah. But the puffin was no longer alive. So they're not completely sure if it's some sort of the way it decomposes or whether all puffins I do this. See. So to test it, they need to get some alive puffins and shine UV on them. But that could hurt their eyes. So they got to design little sunglasses to, um, to amuse themselves. They've made them aviators. Okay, cool. That's brilliant. What did they well, find? Really they did, I believe still pending. Well, they're still gonna, pending. They, we're going to oh. find, find a puffin, give it the sunglasses, shine the light, and then report back. Because their beaks right. do change a lot, right? There's yeah. an outer beak that falls off. The color changes at yeah, different fall, seasons. Their beak falls it's off crazy. in winter. <laughs> yeah. And it leaves them with what I descri- found described in one article as a drab gray pecker. <laughs> <laughs> My old Tinder profile. <laughs> That's amazing. I know. Young puffins are gr- just completely grey. Yeah. They sound so boring. Yeah. Just grey all the way through. Grey beak, grey grey everything. I always thought that was your favourite fact of all time. It was one of my very, very first facts I ever found for a QI. Which one? That a baby puffin is called a puffling. Yeah. yeah. But now, puffins, I don't know if you noticed, they're on everything. Puffins are everywhere now. So many kids' books about pufflings. Um, and someone I know who works in publishing used to keep a list of like which animals were like on trend. So you will oh, have noticed it maybe without realising. So for a while it was sloths, they were on everything. Oh, yeah. It was flamingos for a while. Um, llamas used to have a phase where they were on everything. Oh, and yeah. I think and I think puffins. Is it like children's books, do you just mean? Just yeah. like, like also of... in like in paper chase or like on clothing, if you just notice it. Meerkats cert- were certain massive. An- yeah, certain yeah. animals seem to like have their moment. And I'm how not quite sure why or how, but they do. But it's never the disgusting toad worm, is it? It's never the, like, the, <laughs> he can the, be the, spring the, 2024, Andy. Never the penis worm, is it? Yes. <laughs> and do you feel slightly responsible for that? Because I know, because I think you're partly responsible for disseminating the adorable puffling fact. Because that fact has come out of various yeah. different QI yeah. iterations. I do put it in years. a lot of things. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. No, yeah. I'm thrilled. There's tons of puffling stuff out there, <laughs> and they're super cute. So. Yeah. You used to get enormous flocks of puffins, didn't yeah. you? Mm-hmm. Uh, in the UK as well. Really? So really? the island of St Kilda. This was uh, two people called Herta and Dunn in 1897. And they said that the puffins are in such numbers that clouds of birds sweep past us and make a sound like a whirlwind. Cool. Uh, and cool. another one said that it, was, it made a great cloud that perceptively interfered with the light of day. Uh, and that parasites fell off the birds as they swarmed over us, much to our discomfort and annoyance. Oh, Christ, so you can yeah. imagine there's like mm. millions of these birds just blocking out the sun and flying over you and dropping the ticks on you and stuff. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It's been incredible. Very cool. In St. Kilda, there was one man who caught 620 puffins in a single day. Lassoed using- them? 
Yeah, using a noose of no uh, rod. No yeah, way. Yeah. Sorry to jump in on you there. No, I didn't no, expect it was going right. to be that. Wow. Yeah, pretty much a lasso. That's what they used to use, like these mm. sort of light fishing rods, but with a r- bit of yeah. rope on the end. That's what this cat lady was using in the Second World War. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Wow. wow. That's oh, very cool. amazing. There are some places where the puffins are eaten, aren't there? Iceland. Yeah, Faroe mm. Islands. Yeah. Yeah. Am I allowed to say I've eaten them in Iceland? Have you? <gasps> Have you? Yeah. What did it taste Swine. like? It was a long time ago. Oh, it was but... the eighties. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> Not that long ago. <laughs> what did it taste like? Um, just to me, I thought it just tasted fish, like fishy, mm. oily. Not chicken, but like um, more like fish than like meat. Quaily kind of Ooh. stuff, like gamey, fishy chicken. It's a grey area. <laughs> Why is it a grey area? <laughs> no, I guess everything we're saying about the puffins is sort of like, yeah, you know, you've got to kill them to save them. As they're, being, yeah. they're much more endangered than they used to be. Yeah. So, yeah. 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 Back to, in the day, certainly back in the day when I was eating puffin that one time, <laughs> yeah, they, were, they were all over them. You couldn't you were, move you were, in were on, so, you were on St Kilda, weren't you? And the <laughs> skies were thick with them. You were actually doing the world a favour. Yeah, yeah. I was so hoping that when you were grasping for what they tasted like, you were going to be like, no, a bit like panda, slightly got that kakapo taste to them. Yeah, but that's, I mean, lots of places eat, people eat meat and people eat the meats that are close to them. Exactly. And yeah, as yeah. The, and if, but if a particular meat is endangered, then you change. Yeah, exactly. You there change were, there was customs. whale on the menu, which I didn't eat. Wow. So does, that, does that help my arc at all? Exonerated, oh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> okay, it is time for our final fact of the show, and that is Andy. My fact is that trash talk works better on darts players than shot putters. Uh, call that a fact. There you go. It begins. It begins. I should have known when I picked this fact. Idiot. Uh, uh, that's brilliant. Yeah, so, it's just a study, okay. study of trash why talk, would that be? Why would that be true? Well, uh, this comes from a piece in The Economist, and it's all about sledging and <laughs> and which is cricket based trash talk and you know sporting insults basically you dish mm. out to people you're yeah. in a competition against and it found that it's, it's there have been studies conducted which have found that trash talk is especially effective at distracting players if you're in a sport that needs fine motor skills or creativity uh, rather uh. than brute strength exhibitions okay. um so sports where you need to concentrate are much more vulnerable which is why maybe cricket is uh is is vulnerable to chess? lots of trash talk chess you don't see a lot of smack talk in chess yeah <laughs> mm. but you do yeah you get loads in i mean there, it's weird because lots of sports have different tolerances of yeah. it mm. you know so cricket has loads of it um boxing has loads of it although yeah boxing is yeah. it doesn't it shouldn't you shouldn't need to do any trash talk because you'll try to hit someone hard anyway no it's psychological the whole thing is a psychological yeah. warfare right and it's a very skillful sport boxing i would say is it yeah i just thought you'd batter the other bloke don't well, you <laughs> that's one way of doing it <laughs> but if you're a really good boxer it's all about is this movement. why my boxing career didn't <laughs> Saw like a puffin. <laughs> Thudded like a giant potato. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> oh, no. Um, yeah, no, yeah. that's a really good point. In chess, I guess, there is a lot of psychological stuff goes on, but it's not necessarily... It's not normally... Sh- your shit. You suck. <laughs> yeah, your shit. Yeah. In basketball, it's a big thing. And I've, uh, yeah. I've, I grew up watching basketball, mm-hmm. so you would always see it happening. It's amazing when you see it happening, trash talking between the sort of top players yeah. in the league. So Are they better at it? No, they're sort of... It's just interesting watching them 
because they're all on mic, right? Basically, are they? The, no, no, you can hear like you can hear through the mics of the studio. It comes through, you know. Oh, okay. So they hear them so, saying like, "Oh, yeah, exactly." You hear things. So like, Sha- yeah, well, okay. Shaquille, Shaquille O'Neal was up against so Shaquille O'Neal, one of the all-time greats mm. of basketball, against Kobe Bryant, who was also one yeah. of the other, and he was overheard saying, "Kobe, tell me how my ass tastes," as he was about to dunk on him. Right? Like that's they just, say, what, dunk, does, what does that mean? Yeah, dunk, dunk on him. Dunk on him. That's disgusting. Dunking is when you put your when you bring the ball into the ring and you hold the ring kind why of is thing. he tasting his ass when he does that because he's going so high that the face I of Kobe see. would be oh, yeah Christ. and then and then he, there's this thing in basketball where then you make someone taste your ass after <laughs> Got you've it. Uh, okay. yeah, scored a point <laughs> every day's a school day <laughs> and off the rim sorry 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 sorry, sorry. <laughs> um, one thing they did with this um, with this research you're talking about is they sat people at computers and you had to move a slider to a particular spot and see how many you could do in two minutes. And as you did it, a little message would come up on your screen, supposedly from one of the other people doing the experiment. And it would either say, I'm smarter and faster than you, or let's see what happens. (laughs) Hi, Uh, friend. (laughs) uh, And they found, actually, that people who got the negative messages performed better overall in that one. I think that's because it could spur you on. You think I'm going to lose? Well, I'll just show you. Yeah, absolutely. And that's what seemed to have happened in that one. But then they tried it in in a task which was slightly more skill creative based and they found that people did worse uh, and they were more likely to cheat oh yeah it turns it dirty so you're like well i think one of them might have been the um study by karen mcdermott who was looking into this from the university of connecticut and that involved people playing mario kart Uh and before the game some of the people were insulted with various things Mm. like grab a straw because you suck Brilliant. And so on. Yeah, and she, I think she had to pick quite carefully because a lot of insults might be either, you know, uh, homophobic or racist or sexist or whatever. So yeah, she had yeah. to pick a carefully delineated selection of insults which were cruel enough to sting. Grab a straw because you suck being one of them. And uh, the insulted players perform worse. Right. And they also rated themselves higher as having experienced anger and shame. Oh, no. Mm. Yeah. But were they playing Rainbow Road? If you're playing Rainbow Road, you always experience yeah. deep, deep shame and frustration yeah. and rage. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so, yeah, but does it make you play better or worse? There seem to be slightly conflicting yeah. studies on whether I it improves the game ones. or not. Yeah. And that's similar to what you were saying. I also read, which I just thought was a lovely point, that in a university study, you've got a university ethics code. So what you can sledge someone with is kind of very different to what you can have, like a whole stadium chanting at you in a basketball game. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Oh, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I also like the the weird social side of mm. trash talking as well within professional sports, which is let's say a younger player trying to trash talk and create a relationship of conflict, which would then be on the cameras, and it's a way of social climbing. So like Michael, oh, jo- really? yeah. So Michael Jordan, yeah. for example, would never trash talk whenever he was having it talked to him by like a rookie from a new team because yeah. he thinks I'll let my game do the talking, and I don't want I, I will make you sense. famous by trash talking uh, with you. Yeah, so yeah, let's yeah. not get it's that. Not, it's not yeah. worth. I think it's worth us saying off menu are shit yeah oh, um, uh, Chris and Rosie Ramsey oh wankers yeah, 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 yeah. hell fuck you yeah yeah <laughs> there's no point saying you know John's podcast about nothing John's podcast about nothing is good James I stand by <laughs> I've been listening to, I get all my facts from John's podcast about nothing <laughs> shout out to John hello John <laughs> Um, my <laughs> one of my favorite uh, sledges that I read was not so much a sledge, but um, as an AFL player called Stevie Baker. And apparently during a game, he leaned over to someone and said, "Have you got a sausage dog?" So, <laughs> he, 
Brilliant. And they spent the next 20 minutes just being like, what? 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 <laughs> and they couldn't play. It was the worst insult they've heard. Okay, it turned sorry. out that Baker has a sausage dog. He was just like... Oh, just making chat? Yeah. Just but, <laughs> this guy was like he couldn't focus on the game he's like what's he saying what why did yeah he... i mean, I, I mean like, well it baffled me like i've heard the phrase sausage dog before i yeah. know what that is but because it was at a sporting match i was thinking of a hot dog yeah, yeah. and we're like what's a sausage dog a hot dog is a sausage what this, are you this talking is where about i should swoop in and out fact you but uh... yeah, sure. <laughs> it's all about distraction isn't it really that it, it just reminds me this isn't a fact but do you ever watch that episode of cheers when there was like a basketball player and he couldn't miss and he was amazing oh. and he was winning the whole season and then he went to the bar and started talking about trivia with oh. two of the bar flies yeah. norman and whoever else it was and they asked him how many rivets there were in the basketball stadium and oh. he just all he could think about the rest of his career was counting these rivets and all he would do was walk around counting them he just couldn't play anymore because he was so distracted that happened to me in an exam once what? almost that i was in an exam and people would always write on these like rickety old desk you always tell them at exam time and they all say like you know i heart so and so all that maths is rubbish um <laughs> Yeah. I was sitting at one. You went to school in uh, an episode of the Beano, didn't you? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I grew up in Dundee. Yeah. yeah. Oh yeah, so you did. <laughs> um, so, but I was sitting in, the, in in my seat doing my exam, and on my desk someone had written there were thirty two black lines on the ceiling, and so oh, I look no. up and there are black lines really close together. Never oh. seen them before. So of course I had to count them, and I lost oh, count. God. So I'd start again. Wow. 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 Yeah. Do you think that might have been written by a crafty teacher trying to smoke out easily distracted children? I think children? it was one person in your class wrote it on all the other desks apart from their own. I mean, they would be top of the yeah, class. Yeah, waiting. Yeah. Good. I'd forgotten that until now, but I, can, yeah, I remember trying to and count them. How did your exam, you'll have still passed, I guess. Probably very badly, I don't remember. <laughs> That's so funny. Yeah. Um, I was looking because you talked about darts and shot putting, mm. some um, trash talking in those spots. Oh, yeah. And of course... We can't not talk about Gary Anderson and Wesley Harms. Of course we can't. Um, The amazing match when um, Harms, who lost 10-2, did an interview and said there was a fragrant smell that came from his opponent. And he said, it'll take me two nights to lose the smell from my nose. Wow. And he claimed that Gary Anderson had been farting throughout the match to put him off. Uh, And then... Obviously, they they interview the loser first, and then they interview the winner, and they interviewed Gary Anderson and said, why were you farting the whole time? (gasps) And he said, there was definitely a smell, but it was 1,010%, not me. It was definitely the other guy. And Anderson said, you can put your finger up my ass. There'll be no smell there. What? What What is it with these sportsmen? Yeah. Okay. I mean, I believe the first guy, because that's a very high percentage, so... (laughs) (laughs) Do we have trash talk at QI? No. What do you mean? What do you mean? I just... Well, so there was a study of Fortune 500 companies, and, like, can you remember people being slagged off in that kind of gamesmanship way in the office? Mm. 61% of employees found they could remember trash talk within the last few months. Yeah. I don't think we do sledging here, really. I've got nine years' worth of... (laughs) Oh, and sorry. unfortunately for you guys, it's on record. <laughs> Cue the clip. Yeah. Is this podcast a whole like, HR exercise? One day you guys are going to be called into an office, yeah. Uh, um, one place where you get smack talk famously is wrestling. Yeah. Oh. Um, and I was reading a book. It's called Everything to Play For, the QI Book of Sport by James Harkin and Anna Tashinsky. Oh, my goodness. Sounds like this sounds. <laughs> well, I don't know. It doesn't come out until October, so I don't know if it's rubbish or not. Right, but right. I, I suspect they're big names. I expect it'll be quite good. <laughs> Give a fair hearing, yeah, yeah. Uh, but they argue in that book. <laughs> 
that um, the earliest depictions of wrestling that we have, which yeah. are in the Egyptian tombs, they're quite similar to today's pro wrestling. Mm. So there's an argument that it could be that all the games were fixed because they were often shown as being one person from Egypt, clearly, and one person from a place that isn't Egypt, clearly, and the Egyptian one always won. Yeah. And perhaps it was that they were oh. fixed fights wow. so that the pharaoh would know that his people were the greatest in the whole world so you're saying ancient egyptian pro wrestling is fake that's what i'm saying oh, sorry right. no that's what james harkin and anna Tashinsky are saying in their book everything to play for the qi book of spots oh out God. in october um, but the other thing is that there's a really early one and there is some writing next to it uh, and it's an egyptian who defeated a nubian opponent and he says woe to you O nubian enemy i will make you take a hopeless fall in the presence of the pharaoh and so that's basically smack Earliest. talk yeah. from 3,200 years ago. Tell me the flavor that you find in mine ass. <laughs> <laughs> okay, that's it. That is all of our facts. Thank you so much for listening. If you'd like to get in contact with any of us about the things that we've said over the course of this podcast, we can be found on our Twitter accounts. I'm on at Schreiberland, James. At James Harkin. Andy. At Andrew Hunter M. And Anne. At Miller underscore Anne. Yep, or you can go to our group account, which is at No Such Thing. And you can also get in contact with us via our via our email podcast at qi.com and also go to our website check out all of the previous episodes they are up there no such thing as a fish.com and uh otherwise come back next week we're gonna have another guest thanks for coming back and so thanks good to see me. you again and uh we'll see you then goodbye <laughs>